0: Amen. I was watching Francis to see if he was going to come up out of that seat. He didn't. He almost did. That was just outstanding. Thank you, Jessica and Drake. Is he worthy? That's what that song asks us time and time again. Is he worthy? Is he worthy? And it answers. Yes, he is. He's a worthy God. Well, good morning. Um, I also want to extend to you a happy new year, a blessed new year. And I haven't seen many of you since last year. You haven't changed a bit. Keep up the good work. I use that joke every year. I only get to use it one year, so I just keep it going. It's a good one. But, you know, beginnings and and new things are a gift from God. And the new year is an opportunity for us to, uh, I hope we take the opportunity to evaluate our lives in the light of Christ Um, And to think about things, how am I living my life Am I living my life or is life living me and am I running my business or is my business running me and all these kind of things. And it's just a good opportunity to maybe dig our feet in the ground a little bit and say, well, I need to make some changes here. Um, And I think our passage will help us do that, help us align our mind, our thinking and really the meaning and purpose of our lives. Why are we here? Our passage helps us answer that question, and we are in the very final verses of Matthew, chapter 28. And I decided just to turn this Great Commission passage into a mini-series, a mini-sermon series, because it's just so dynamic. It it impacts everything that we do, really, uh, individually in our homes, in the workplace, and here, of course, in a church. And in order to, to get a, a proper understanding of how important these words are, I went ahead and decided to take the time to just kind of back up and, and get a bigger view of the bigger picture. Because in this passage, and well, let's just go ahead and read it. Let's go ahead and read. And I'm, we've read it several times, so I'm just going to read 18 to 20. But we're in Matthew 28, 18 to 20. And this is Jesus's final meeting with his disciples before he ascends into heaven. And he came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And I am with you always to the end of the age. What a powerful, powerful Set of scriptures here. And what we find is that Jesus sends his followers on a mission. So he he gathers his disciples and he, he gives his disciples a command and a mission, something to do with their lives. And that mission for his disciples is to make disciples. So he tells his disciples to make disciples. His followers to make more followers in Christ. This comes from the highest chain of command that can be given. This is an authoritative mission that he sends us on. And in order to properly understand it, I thought it was a good idea just to to, to step back and say, okay, if we're going to sink our teeth into this and take this as God's mission, does this line up with the rest of Scripture? Is this really... Does this line up with the big mission of why everything works the way it does? And we step back and we say, well, what's God's big mission? Because we don't want to be doing something that's contrary to God's will and his mission. We found that if you look at Scripture throughout Scripture from beginning to end, that God's mission, what he is accomplishing through his creation. And he just decided to do this. and He's God and he can do it to bring all things into existence. The triune God decided to do this and he decided to do this ultimately for his own glory. Everything that God does is for his own glory. And I think that's you say, well, of course it is. But it's important to know that because sometimes we make the mistake, even as Christians, to think that, well, everything God does and God's mission is to love me because the scriptures fill with so many um truths about God's affection for his people, his care for his people. And we can walk away thinking, well, life is all about me. And if we do that, it's a mistake. Then we are working contrary to the big ultimate purpose of God, to God's ultimate purpose. and What he is accomplishing in this world and on this earth and in the universe is to bring glory to himself. Everything he creates is created for that purpose to bring him glory, to echo it back. He's, he's beautiful, he's pure, he's grand and it reflects him in some way of course including humanity. He doesn't create things to take his glory away, he creates things to enhance his glory or really reveal the glorious God that he already is. We don't add to his glory, he's already as glorified as a being can be. But we echo it, we redound his glory. So that's the big mission of what everything is about in this world. It's about bringing the creator God the glory he deserves. And then we looked at the second sermon and said, "Okay, if that's the big mission, then how does God accomplish this? What is he doing? Is it is it noticeable in the earth? Can we actually see how God gets glory? And the answer is Yes. Uh, really, kind of two different ways. One, we can we know in Genesis before the fall that everything that God created it is for His glory and it reflects His glory. So you can look at the mountains if you have eyes of faith, or even without eyes of faith, people go to to glorious sights like the Grand Canyon, the mountains, or the oceans because they think, "Wow, it's it's vast, and beautiful," and hopefully they will draw the conclusion somebody made that and whoever made that is must be a pretty incredible being and the scripture says the heavens declare the glory of god you look into the heavens you see the the clouds and the shapes and the the blue sky and the different hues and the the luminaries and all this thing it's for the glory of god then man fell everything was made perfect and whole But then man fell. How does God glorify himself in a fallen creation? By redeeming it. And that's the phase of life that we are born into. We're in the phase of life where God glorifies himself. Yes, in making things whole and perfect. But even when they're fallen, even when they're defiled, even when they're broken. God glorifies himself by redeeming and by restoring these things. And so we get to see God do that tangibly. With the eyes of faith, because He's enlightened our hearts and our minds. If you are a person of faith, you will see how God brings glory to Himself by taking a creature that could care less about Him, that cares more about sin and self, and He turns that heart around and changes that nature and creates something new. If anyone is a Christ, He's a new creation. And the old goes and the new comes, and we witness that in one another. God is. Having victories in our lives and turning our hearts to love what God loves. And a lot of this passage is about adjusting our lives to love what God loves. And what is absolutely clear in this passage is that God loves people. He loves his glory and he gets it through loving people, redeeming people, being kind and gracious and merciful to people. We see that. God loves. When he saves a lost soul. When he heals a broken heart. When we get so confused and then he just gives us principles to live by. And and lights our path and shows us the way. All of these things bring him glory. And that's why we are created. To give him glory in everything we do. The Apostle Paul says even when we eat and drink. We're going to have a fellowship meal together. It's not just churchy stuff. It's life stuff. Everything we do, we have the ability to to give God glory. So we, we look at this passage and we see this great mission that he has sent us on. And we also see in it, really, his great heart. Because in order to accomplish this mission and to redeem and restore that which is lost, he gave his son. He gladly gave his son and his son gladly gave of himself to die and take the punishment that we deserve that all brings glory to god god doesn't just isn't just able to bring glory to himself in a pure world where everything works whole and right god brings glory to himself against all odds does the impossible even in a broken obstinate world what a mighty god we serve is he worthy yes he is and I think it's safe to say, so as he saves lost souls, he sends disciples. This is all just kind of a introduction, by the way. I haven't even. Good. Anyway, he saves lost souls. He's he's um, glorifying himself in this, and the reason we're sent on this mission is because he's not finished. The sum of his glory, only God, the sovereign God knows in his mind when that second will come. But there will be a in in time and space, there will be a second, a point in time where the sum of his glory will be reached. In reaching all the nations in reaching all the people that he had in mind, that he had planned to make heaven where he gets the whatever glory he decided. And until then, we are to be diligent. In fulfilling this great commission until the sum of his glory has been reached. One of the powerful things is one of the many powerful things about this passage as well is that if you're the kind of person that is a hands on person and not so theoretical or philosophical, you just like to see things accomplished. You like to be told what to do so you can do it and then you can go back and look at the results you're a task guy, a progress person. This is a good passage for that because it tells you exactly what you are to be doing with your life. And you can look at your life and evaluate your life as a disciple and say, what am I doing with this great commission? What, how am I fulfilling that? And that's what we'll be challenged with this morning in this series, And honestly, we will be challenged with this all year long. If that's how long it takes to get through second Corinthians. All year long, because this is where God has us right now in our mindset. I want to look at two things in this passage this morning, since it's about discipleship. And I want to look at being a disciple and making a disciple, because you might think, well, of course you got to be disciple. But, But what does that really mean? And I think it's important to clarify that because you have to be a disciple in order to make a disciple. But you have to be a true disciple, a real disciple of Christ in order to make real disciples of Christ. You will recall that one of the things that Jesus um, went up against when he ministered were the Jewish leaders. They were making disciples. They were making converts, but they were. They were not true disciples themselves. And so really all they were doing were heaping unreachable burdens on people. They were making them like them by trying to say that it's a work salvation world. They were making people look at God in unattainable ways and pharisaical ways. They were disciples, but they weren't true disciples. And when they made disciples, they made false disciples. We see that in our world. There are missionaries, there are different religions and persuasions. They're diligent in reproducing themselves, but they're reproducing false disciples in the eyes of God. So you have to be a disciple or a true believer to make a disciple. What does that word even mean? You know, what does it mean to be a true believer, to be a disciple? Does it mean, does the word disciple mean Sacrifice, because we are supposed to give ourselves as a living sacrifice. Romans 12.1. What, what does it mean? Well, the word really just simply means student. If you're a disciple, you're a student, you're a pupil, you're a learner. That's what a disciple is. And so a disciple comes up under, places themselves up under the teacher or the rabbi in Jesus's case. It means you're somebody who wants to learn. And if you disciple somebody, then you are teaching them. So when Jesus called his disciples to himself, he's calling people to himself. And he's taking on the responsibility to teach them what? Well, all the things that you have observed. Teach them to observe all the things I've commanded you. What he has commanded them is the revelation of the kingdom of God. The truth that Jesus is king. He has arrived. He has has taken his battle flag and stuck it in the ground at earth and said, this is mine. I'm reclaiming it. We're a part of that reclaiming project as we sit here this morning. We are the fruit of Christ here. He said, that's mine. I'm taking it back for the glory of God. So he gathers his disciples under his tutelage and they want to be there. They they came and followed him. They answered the call. And he's teaching them precept upon precept. He's teaching them the truths from heaven. from The holy book. And so to be a disciple is to be a learner. And you would expect that somebody who says, I'm a true believer, I'm a Christian. What kind of things can you expect them to be doing with their lives? Obviously, whatever it takes to learn the commandments that came from heaven, the commandments about the kingdom, which are find, found in the Bible, Holy Scripture, or found in your phone in the form of a Bible in Holy Scripture. You know, there's something I think powerful about taking this book up and raising it up so you can see with your own eyes this is the Word of God. Is the day going to come? When I'm going to go and this is the Word of God, it just doesn't seem to have the same impact, does it? I don't know. Check my emails while I'm here. No. I don't, but technology. So to be a, a true disciple, we're learning the commandments we're pressing in. So we want to be asking ourselves this morning, yeah, I'm all on fire for the Great Commission, but wait a minute, what kind of shape am I in as a disciple? Is this my heart? Am I loving the things that God loves? What kind of disciple am I? Well, Jesus made disciples and you think learner, pupil, man, classroom. School. Well, yeah. Some of discipleship requires intense classroom study. It might be an intense Bible study or a book. It might be intense one-on-one mentorship. Absolutely. But that's not all Jesus did. He did the, you know, add in his, his inner circle of three and then he had the 12. And then from out there, they were all his disciples. So there's there's that intense learning and studying. If we got to shut the world out so we can get these things and pack them into our head so they won't keep slipping out. But it's also on the mountainside. It's also walking along the riverbank. It's also while they're sitting there broiling fish, eating fish. Bread, it's it's in the midst of a miracle, it's in the midst of suffering. It's as you go about life. So they he invited them into his life. It's in your prayer life. You pray together. It's everything. It's anything pertaining to God, anything that gives glory to God and everything. It can be, you know, anything from the very strict sense of a intense mentorship and discipleship, maybe full time, to just just passing comments of encouragement or just preaching the gospel. Anything quick. It's because it's all the pro- discipleship a process. It doesn't happen just like this. We are being made disciples. Even true disciples are being made disciples because we're continuing to grow in Christ. So we can expect if you are a tangible kind of person. Am I a true believer of Christ? Are you pressing into God? Have you mastered the whole book? I haven't. We need to continue to understand who he is, what his purpose is, what our mission is. And we do that by pouring ourselves into his holy revelation. Pressing in, praying, scratching, striving, taking the crumbs that fall off the table, whatever it takes to know the riches of God. Because remember, that's what life is about, to know him and to make him known. That's what we should find ourselves as disciples, that process there. Can you get to know God through communion? Is there an exchange that takes place? Is there an exchange taking place now? Are we submitted? Are we being taught by God as his word goes out? And then as we sit to enjoy a fellowship meal after the service? Can we glorify God as we eat and through our conversation? All of these things are opportunities to bring glory to God. Giving compliments, receiving encouragement, all whatever. Maybe even an exhortation. Or just pointing a testimony, pointing to God in some way. Putting your arm around somebody and showing, I love you, I care for you, I'll walk with you. All of these things, it's it's how we do life if we're disciples. And there's something else I want to bring up before I go on to the second point about discipleship that I think that that we we struggle with as a Christian community. And when I say we, I mean, I know that other other Christian denominations do it, but I think even conservative evangelical gospel, gospel centered evangelicals, we struggle with this aspect of true discipleship, and that is suffering. We have a hard time understanding How does that fit in? Because it is important, important to know, because if discipleship is like all of life. Well, suffering is a big part of life. Who escapes it? We all experience it in some way. Here's what I mean by that. We are good. One thing I think we do well. With is we get excited when somebody comes to Christ. I mean, we get excited that a. A lost soul has been saved. That the dead have been raised, and and now they are going to heaven. They're no longer hellbound. And we get excited when we see that happen, and we get excited when we see people, God will say God or whatever it is will take a, a lost sinner and often put them in a crucible. They'll go through some kind of tragedy. Some kind of suffering, they might lose everything, lose their house, lose all their money. They, they might they might um, the fruit of their sin may have landed them in a prison cell. Uh, they may have lost a loved one, whatever it is. And we say, but then they came to Christ and we say, wow, thank God it was all worth it. If that's what it takes to get a lost soul to Christ, then it's worth it. Right. Even the, the sickness So in our scale about the momentary suffering as opposed to the weight of glory and eternal salvation, it's no no comparison. Obviously, anything that we can suffer in this life, if it leads us to Christ, it's worth it. And I think that's a scriptural standpoint, right? But then we become believers. And then tragedy comes. And we're like, wait a minute, this isn't supposed to happen. I thought it was smooth. It's our favorite word. Smooth. Christ wants us to have a smooth, carefree, suffer-free, tragedy-free life. And we spend a lot of our years in discipleship struggling with this. But let me just introduce or propose this idea for you to consider that, okay, if the big mission in all things is for God to get glory, and God gets tremendous glory when a lost soul maybe goes through terrible, terrible times, but is saved and now brings glory to God with his life. Is it conceivable that maybe even somebody that's a believer who can bring more go- glory to God if he had a deeper understanding in an area of life or learn something better or learn more obedience or just more trust and faithfulness. If we went through some kind of turmoil and came out and gave glory to God, can we rejoice over that? Are we only, only going to rejoice over the lost that are saved? Can we rejoice in each other's life? That, I'm sorry, look, I don't like suffering. But God uses suffering in our lives in a powerful way. And I think if we learn to see it through the eyes of bringing opportunities to bring glory to God in the midst of our suffering. We'll be able to endure it in whole new ways. There's a whole book, entire book, a big, long book really devoted to this concept. It's Job. And he didn't sin any worse than anybody else. He was more righteous than most people. And it's not about God punishing sin. It's about God being God. And God getting glory. And what it, when, when tragedy hits, you know what it does? It causes you to just push everything off the desk and say, man, this is what really matters in life. Doesn't it? We don't ask for it to come. But when it comes, all of a sudden we're focused in. on. Man, I was caught up in this and that doesn't even matter. But this is what's precious to me. Now I can see more clearly what really matters in life. That's what tragedy does. And it might happen to bring a lost soul to Christ. And it will happen in our lives. And I will say something else about it before I move on. Because we don't live in a perfect world, we actually need suffering. You understand? In a perfect world, if you were perfect, perfectly right, if you love God with all your heart, and you were righteous inside and out, you wouldn't need any discipline or correction. You, you wouldn't need to alter your mindset. You wouldn't need more faith or trust. You've already fulfilled all the commandments in their entirety. There's nobody here in this world until the kingdom comes that will match that criteria. That means everybody gets a little off. Even strong Christians get a little off. And because we're imperfect and we need to be taught and we need to be trained and we need to be disciplined. We have to learn this through suffering Christ learned discipline and obedience through suffering because of the broken world we live in. So it's just another way to think about discipleship. And I bring it up because everybody in the world suffers. And who but a believer or Christian has the testimony and the answers that can at least alleviate alleviate that suffering in light of the faith in the gospel in the coming kingdom. So true being a true believer, we want to make true disciples. And we got to be pressing in to know God and his word and do what it takes. Scratch our way, claw our way. To the riches of the glory. Of God. I also mentioned previously that everything we do as a church, we try and strive to make it fit this criteria of discipleship and making disciples. We're growing Christians. Disciples are being made here as we meet, we gather, and we serve the Lord in our gifts. As we plan, as we print things, baby showers, whatever it is, it's all for the glory of God. It's to to point people to Christ. And so we exalt God by edifying the saints, trying to grow and mature the saints, and evangelizing the lost. It all fits up under this all-encompassing mission of Christ. It never ends, does it? Discipleship never ends until God blows the whistle, blows the trumpet, to be more accurate. We just keep going. We keep growing. We keep reaching out. That's God's plan. That's God's mission. We go farther and farther. It's, it's organic. It's growing. So that is we need to be true disciples. And embrace, yes, even suffering because it could teach us a thing on how to be a better disciple. Paul says in Romans chapter 5. We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Apparently, we don't have enough endurance in our fallen state. Character. Character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given us. It's all a part of maturing and walking in the ways of a disciple. See how it pulls everything together in life. So be Disciples and then make disciples. Takes a true disciple to make a true disciple. But Jesus sends these true disciples out. Now, when you talk about the Great Commission. A lot of times our hearts sink. In guilt. Because you hear that word go. And God says go. Go farther and farther and farther. Because wherever there are people in the world. Even hard, you got, might have to drop in there by a helicopter. It's the only way you can get there. I want the gospel proclaimed. I love them. And we hear this, this commission. And we're like, oh man, but I'm so comfortable here. And we, we, we feel so guilty. And i got kids to worry about. How am I supposed to go through the jungle with the kids, kid on each hip? And you know, how does this really fit into to real life? What what does that word really even mean? And a lot of times we're guilt ridden before we even get into the passage. But you just have to know that I guess my goal would be hear what God is speaking to your heart. I mean, I'm going to throw some things out here, but listen to the Holy Spirit. If God wants you to go, you can go with two kids on your hip. He wants you not to go, but to serve in a different way. You can do that. He equips the saints for the work of the ministry. So let's look at this idea of making disciples what does it really mean to go what does that word mean well simply put it means to go from one place to another but God Jesus when he gave it he, he gave it in concentric circles so yeah you start here and then you go here and then you go here and you go here and you go here and you just keep on going and keep on going until you've reached everybody till I blow the trumpet so, so going it's it's being uh, mobile not stationary. In advancing the gospel or growing your own faith. That's the act of sending. So disciples start where they are. And then they move to the next person, to the next person, to the next person. That's the idea behind it. It may take you not very far geographically. Or it may take you to the other side of the world geographically. And that's where we need to just listen and obey the Holy Spirit, because God has his people to serve him in different ways. A missionary is one who's sent. Somebody shared the gospel with you. Might have been your parents, might have been a friend, might have been a radio broadcast. Somebody was faithful to share the gospel with you to make a disciple. That's how people get saved, by the preaching of the word. And God requires those that have been transformed by it to be the ones that proclaim it. From one to the next. Now, some believers uh, want to to cover uncharted territory. That's their heart and that's their passion. The Apostle Paul, he said, I want to go where the gospel has never been preached. And God call, calls others to to stay where the gospel's already been preached, to grow the saints that are localized. But it's always with the idea that we are growing in Christ to reach the lost, whether it's here or over there. And just because we're over here doesn't mean we don't, we're relieved of the responsibility of somehow affecting the people that have not been reached from the gospel. There are ways that we can do that from here. Did he have to be global to be a true disciple? No, not everybody needs to go. Um, I went to, there, there, there's been, I don't know, a half a dozen, maybe a, a few more times in my life as a Christian where like, I really knew that God spoke something to my heart. Like, just like it got to the point where, to the best of a human's ability to know God speaking, this was it. And one of the things was to go to Columbia Bible College. That was God's direction. I knew I was supposed to go to that college. Well, that college, it's now Columbia uh, International University. Their big emphasis is missions. So, pretty smart guy. I think, okay, well, God, you called me to a missions-oriented college. Obviously, you're calling me to the mission field. And so I was like, the first two years, my ears were, were huge in trying to hear where it is that God's calling me. It Russia, you know, is it the jungle? Where is it? A cold place? A warm place? Where? Where are we going? My wife and I, and my, some of my friends were getting the call, so to speak, and they were joining missions agencies and things. In two years, and nothing. So frustrated. So I just said, "Well, I don't know what God's doing, but I got to finish my degree." And it, after two years, you had to, uh, everybody majored in. Bible, but then you had to claim a second major, so I thought, well, what am I going to do now? And I looked at the syllabus. I guess I'll take pastoral ministries because you get to study all the books of the Bible. In the pastoral ministries major, the other ones didn't have that. The pastoral ministries, and I really didn't want the preaching class that came with it. Um, I had no intention of being a pastor, honestly. Uh, so anyway, but I just took it. I liked it, except for the preaching part and the pastoral part. I love studying the Bible. And uh, got, I never got called to the mission field. I graduated, came back, got plugged into this church, and about 15 years after I graduated, just enough time for me to forget everything I learned, God calls me into equipping the saints for the work of the ministry, an already established place. I never got called overseas. Thought I would. It's just how God works. In our lives. But we all are commissioned. With the same thing. And we're all in motion. So that God is magnified. And glorified around the globe. And we got to figure out. If we're not going to go there. How can we do that from here? What am I doing? It might be grooming young people. In this church. Maybe I'm not going. But maybe some of you young people. Maybe God's stirring your heart. Ooh. People need to hear the gospel. What a great honor and privilege! I would love to do that, or I have no intention of doing that. And maybe God might have different thoughts for you. So if you if you sense that that urging and that call, and you're a young person, go to somebody, your parents, or or I'd love. To, we want to pray for God's direction in that. Now this church has sent people to the mission field. Um, of course, I went to missions college and I came back here to Virginia. Bobby goes to Japan. He went to the same college. He goes to Japan. Jeff's gone. Where's Jeff? Jeff, he goes to Asia, the Middle East, the cookie. He went to that same college. I came back here. Not that that's a negative thing. But anyway, so church has. Uh, <laughs> we've sent people out and um, really you, you sent me out to college. If if you are one of the original folks that were here when I was a young whippersnapper, uh, you sent me out, commissioned me out and supported me and prayed for me. But and we support missionaries now, some in in populated cities, some in the middle of nowhere. So we, we are active in that way as a church. We're not all led to go. Some of us may be a part of what has been coined a sending church, meaning no, I'm not called to go there, but I'll get those that are called to go there, I'll get them there. I'm gonna play a part in that way. The next our last sermon will be practical things we can do to be engaged in the Great Commission. There's so much more that we could be doing, even with the structure we have right now, if we just would we'll get the focus in the umph behind it so we make we be disciples and we make disciples we might go or we might be sending disciples are made and disciples are sent and one of the things that we see in this passage is that disciples are made and sent by jesus's authority and that's very important Jesus says, I have been given all authority. Heaven and earth, there's not a place that I don't rule and reign. And based on that truth, I'm sending you out. You see, the the cloak, we're we're sent out under the cloak of the grand authority of Christ. That means something. We're not on our own authority. We're, We're not telling people what to do on our own merit. It's on the merit of Christ. He has authority over all these things. And so that's why missionaries can go to foreign cultures that don't know anything about the gospel. And hearts are actually transformed because of the authority of Christ. That's what it's based on. That's what we're trusting in. Not our own persuasiveness. And then lastly, we make disciples by the authority of Christ, but we make disciples by the perpetual presence of Christ. He gives us everything right in here, everything that scares us about it. He gives us an answer or a remedy to Though it's by his authority. He's making them. He's transforming and we're just planting the seeds. And then he says, I'm with you. In other words, this is my mission and I'm sending you on this mission, but I'm not abandoning you. I'm with you in this mission. We're, we're working together in this. You're an ambassador for Christ. I am using you to reconcile the world to myself. And I am with you every step of the way. That's an important promise to know because there's going to be times where we don't feel like Christ is with us. But He is because He promised. That's when we don't go with our emotions. We go with the word of promise. He has pledged Himself to us in what? The task of being a disciple and making disciples. So There's boundaries on it. For the glory of God in redeeming man to himself. I had, um, as we close here and prepare for a time of worship, I'm very grateful because God has really stirred my heart with this passage about being a disciple, making disciples in the Great Commission. And um, Lisa and I had an opportunity to go visit my family for New Year's, which is a tradition we do whenever possible. And on the way, we just prayed, you know, God... I would love an opportunity to share the gospel. Sharing the gospel with family and friends is one of the hardest things to do. You're kind of set in your ways and you know, I've done it before. But anyway, I'm so grateful to God because he just opened the door two different times for me to, to just plainly share the gospel. It wasn't even like hard. One person asked me, a soon to be relative asked me, um, you're a pastor, right? Yeah. Well, do you mind if I ask what denomination you are? Hmm, I can answer that question. I just gave my testimony right there, and then another person, one of the jokesters in the in the family, another relative, was just, just kind of joking about heaven, and and I guess by the Spirit of God, I mean it came so natural. But I said, I know you're a joker, and he'll have you in stitches too. He is a joker. He's a great funny guy said I know you like to joke about everything and he was joking about heaven I said but you know there really is a way to know if you're going to heaven and just right there on the porch at home share the gospel with him about Christ dying for our sins and why do we celebrate Christmas is because he came why because we need to be saved not just to make our lives better to save us and so I'm just very grateful it's testimony of the mission that God has us on And he's with us. It's a long-term mission. And until the sum of his glory is reached, that's what we will be on. May God bless the preaching of this word. And let's praise him.